0: Father in heaven there is one blessing that brings every other blessing in its stream the value of one soul no one can estimate and so lord there are many souls eagerly awaiting to listen to god not to sebastian And so we pray, Father, that you would speak, you would speak to me, and that you would speak through me. Lord, may you use this time to create change, to give momentum to our spiritual lives, and to help us to know you, as it is our privilege to know you. This is our prayer, and we offer it up. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 1. We have gone first and looked at the fact that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and so God decided that He was going to deal with the darkness first. And so we talked about the Spirit of God moving in the midst of chaos, and as the Spirit of God moves, then God speaks. Then after God speaks, we recognize yesterday that when God says, it is so. And therefore, reality is based on the word of God, not based on our feelings. Can you say amen? amen? It's a blessing that reality is not based on my feelings. Because, you know, sometimes when you're preaching, you feel like people are not listening. But I don't believe that's reality. Feelings have a place, they have a role but their role is not to determine reality. Now, at the same time, we continue on in this discussion of Genesis and creation and these lessons beyond just how, were the, how was the world formed. And we look in the fact that in, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the what? The first day. Now, as soon as you say the first of something, you're assuming there's going to be another. So you say the first day, the first whatever it is. As soon as you say first, you're assuming there's going to be another. Now, this is the question that I I want to use to catapult us into our reflection, and that is this. On the first day of creation, what did God create? It's not a trick question. He created light. Now, here's the question. Could God have created everything in one day? Yes or no? So now we look at the fact that God took six days to make the heavens and the earth. And yet on the first day, he could have created everything in one day, but he decided just to create light. And the Bible says after he created light, he divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. It's almost as if God did this early on in the day. He created light and it's like in the evening and the morning were the first day. So what this gives us insight into the fact is that God does not do in a day what he can do. But God does in a day what he plans to do. It's not that God is not able to create all of the world in one day and still have time to spare. When you can speak things into existence, you don't need a lot of time. Yes? Do you need a lot of time to say, let there be light? That took you a few seconds. Let there be a firmament, took a few seconds. Let there be trees and earth yielding seed and trees after their kind, yet that took another few seconds. Let there be a sun and a moon, the stars also. Let there be birds in the air and fish and animals on the sea. And let there be land animals and bugs and creeping things. And let us make man in our image. Those things don't take long to say. But God looks and he says, listen to me, when I am creating something, when I am making something, when I'm working, I don't do everything in a day that I can do. You see, this reflection immediately transfers us into the concept of the fact that the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Have you ever heard that before? Some of you have, some of you may have not, some of you may have forgotten 2 Corinthians 5.17. When the Bible talks about we need to be made or born again. That we have been begotten through the crucifixion of Christ unto a new man, a new life. God is making you all over again. And yet creation says this. Number one. I do not do everything in a day that I can do. You see, you can look at your life in the mirror and say, Lord, there's a lot of things you have to do to make me exactly what you created me to be. And God looks back at you and he says, listen, I don't do everything in a day that I can do. I do everything that I plan to do. But at the same token, while it does not take a day, it also does not take forever. What that means is eventually God's work ends. You see, this is significant because as we think about our salvation, as we think about the work of God in your life and in my life, we can sometimes get discouraged and it's almost as if we do not see what God is doing. Or we may get discouraged and say, man, this thing has been issue after issue after issue, day after day, year after year. You may be 16 now, and you may be 26 later on, and you're still dealing with the temper. You may be married with children, and your children are grown, and you're still dealing with angry thoughts or feelings of jealousy. And you're like, Lord, how long do I have to deal with this? And God says, listen, Sebastian, everything I can do, I do not do in a day, but trust me, it won't take forever. Eventually, I finish what I start. And thus, Paul builds upon this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, and he says, He that has begun, he that has what? Begun Begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ. God wants you to be ready for the second coming. Don't let a preacher get up and tell you, Jesus is coming soon. You need to get your life right. You need to do this. It's true, we do, but we don't. It is not our work. It is God's work. And God wants us to be ready for the second coming. He wants us to be ready for the day of Christ. But he's also letting us know to say, creation teaches you God works in a process. I'm not going to deal with your anger, your lust, your vanity, your pride, your jealousy, all in one day. I could do that. But that's not my plan. My plan is to make light and I'm satisfied for today. Tomorrow, my plan is to make the atmosphere and to divide the waters, and God is satisfied for that day. So I ask you the question, when yesterday you might have said, you know, out of three temptations overlying, I I overcame two of them, but I failed in one. And God says, you know what? I'm satisfied. We're making progress to where I want to go. And this is what I can do today, but the only difference between creation and us is that we can limit what God can do by our choice to not cooperate with him. We can say, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to let you work in my life today. We can decide when God says, you know what, I I can give you strength, I can give you power, as we talked about last night. And we can decide, you know what, I don't want to surrender to this this time. And as we make up that decision, we tie the hands of God. Because the darkness can't argue. The firmament can't argue. But we can say, you know what, I don't believe that you can do this, God. I don't believe you have the ability to change my temperament. I don't believe you have the ability to give me a desire and a love for the Bible. I don't believe that. And because I don't believe that, God says I can't do it. Because I need you to choose to serve me. I need you to choose to believe that I can do it. Then I can do it. And so in creation on one side, we say, Lord, okay, help me to learn patience to see that God does not do in a day what he can do. But God does in a day what he plans. And every day of your life, God has a plan to bring you to the place where he wants you and I to be. But he also tells us at the same token, if I have begun, I finish. Don't be worried if God is going to finish his work. <laughs> from creation, he says, listen, I went from without form and void from chaos to paradise in six days. Then you go over to the cross, and while Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, it is finished. I made an agreement with the Father in heaven that I will come down and I will pay for man's sins. And while he was there breathing his last, he wasn't talking to Roman soldiers. He wasn't talking to Jews. He wasn't talking to a centurion. He was talking to his father. It is finished. I have completed it. Because if I begin, I will finish. And Paul says, being confident of this one very thing, that he who has begun, this is God's track record. Some of you, you may say, you know, Jesus, I just came up for an appeal or maybe my family just switched over to becoming Adventists or maybe, you know, this is how my journey started. It doesn't matter how you start the Christian life. I can tell you that right now. Many of us love to hear testimonies. Oh, this guy was in homosexuality, deep in drugs, and he had slept with over a thousand men. Wow, praise God. This is what God saved him from. But guess what? It's not how you start the Christian life. It's how you finish. No, no, no. Not even how you finish. If you finish. If we finish. The Christian life is not a race given to the swift. It is not the person who grows the fastest. That's why there are people in this class, in this room right now, everyone looks at and says, man, this guy is super not spiritual. This girl is super not interested in God. And then come to find out, later on, this girl is leading some powerful youth movement in some country, winning all these souls. And you're like, I would have never have thought. Why? Because you're looking at how fast. And the people you think are so spiritual, you find out later on that they're the ones struggling. The one who never complained, who never gave problems to the Bible teacher, did all their homework, and then you're wondering, why is this person struggling? I can tell you right now, my mother is utterly dumbfounded at what I do. Utterly dumbfounded of all the seven children I, her firstborn, from the very beginning, my mother would weep after I get expelled again from another school. Then the next school said, we'll be kind, you know, we'll we'll suspend him a few times and then we're going to expel him. And I remember, you know, one time in third grade, I mean, (laughs) it's just bad, man. I was just a terrible kid. I was a hellion. And I remember coming home after getting suspended, and a friend of mine said, you know, we were sitting in gym class, PE, and we we're sitting there eight, nine years old, and we are challenging each other to touch some girl inappropriately. I'll just say that. <laughs> and he said, Sebastian, I dare you to do it. I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not scared, so why don't you do it? And I said, honestly, you know, I just got back from being suspended, <laughs> so I'm not trying to get in trouble. My mom's probably going to end my life. If I get suspended again, he's like, no, man, don't even worry. The gym teacher's not even looking. So, you know, back in my day, you know, if you wanted to really get a person to do something, you say, I dare you, right? And nobody wants to be a punk. And then if you say, no, man, I I don't, I'm not going to do it, right? So then they say, okay, I double dog dare you, right? That's like, oh, man, you're a real punk if you don't do this. And then if they really want to go in, I triple dog dare you to do this. And so at this point in time, I was like, okay, I can't back down, I have to do this. And so I did, and sure enough, the the PE teacher crossed the gymnasium, boy, get over here, (laughs) calls me over, go to the office, they can't reach my mom, they send me home, third grader, walking home. My mom is sick from work, single mom. And of course, I'm taking my sweet time because there's no rush to get home at this point. (laughs) I know what's waiting for me on the other side, and as I get home, my mom calls me in the room, and as I come in the room, my mom's like, what happened? And I was a very honest child, so I just told her, well, this guy dared me, and I had to do this, and so, (laughs) whatever, whatever, she's like, why would you do this, you need to learn to respect women, I'm a third grader, you need to have a respect for women, you need to understand, da-da-da-da, I'm like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. And then my mom just starts crying. She's like, I'm so tired, I can't even spank you. Just go in the living room. Just go in the living room. Like, I'm tired. And the funny thing is, I mean, I used to get beat daily. I mean, <laughs> I was a bad kid. I could count the days I did not get a beating in my house. And I was like, man, vindication. I want a day. <laughs> no beat down. <laughs> But out of all the times that I was punished, the one time my mom decided not to punish me and send me in the other room because she was so tired, reached my heart faster. Because to see my mom in that condition, I was like, man, this is really breaking my mom. This is really breaking her heart. And to go through all that experience, and my mom looks and says, so let me get this straight. You preach to other people? About God? Yes. About uh, integrity, right? Honesty. Used to be the worst liar known to mankind. Super violent. Irrational. Irrational. You could go on and on down the list. And now my mom looks and she's thinking to herself, this does not make any sense. Because if she looked at all of the children, for sure I was not high on the list for preacher, you know, traveling the world and leading out in some youth movements. It would never have crossed her brain. And yet now, my mom looks and now she's telling my other siblings, you know, you guys need to be more like Sebastian. And they're all looking at her like, what? (laughs) Are you serious right now? And the irony was, as we got older, started switching. Started switching. And it seemed as if my sister was the one, really mature for her age. I would always get, oh, you must be the older one. No, Sebastian's the oldest. Oh, couldn't tell. So immature. That was me. And yet now, my mom looks at my sisters, look at my brothers. She's like, you guys need to really take note from Sebastian's life. And eventually, my brother did join the church, one of them. So we're wearing them down as we speak. But God does not do everything today. God works, notice in the passage, it says, this was the first day. That means God does his work day by day. God does not prepare for Tuesday. So it doesn't say, let there be light, and also, can you start getting the stuff for the atmosphere ready today? God doesn't do that. He says, I have work for the first day, and that's all I do for today. But on top of that, for Tuesday, God says, I do things day by day. And let me tell you why this is so important and significant for you and I. Because the way we engage in the Christian life is, when that preacher is making an appeal, we're thinking about all of the things that we have to change. We're thinking about all the things we have to do now to go all the way with Jesus. Man, I got to give this up. Got to change my music. Got to change my clothing. I can't be cursing anymore. I can't even be lying. I can't do this. Man, I really enjoy watching these kind of movies. It just overwhelms the mind. And God says, guess what? I don't do my work forever in one day. I do things day by day. And trust me, it won't take forever. I know you feel like it will take forever. But reality is not based on your feelings. It's based on the word of God. And God says, if he began, he will complete. But here's an important point. In verse 4, look there with me. The Bible says, and God saw the light, that it was good. I want to pause on this thought for this reason. One of the reasons why you and I do not, are not aware of how God is working in our individual lives is because we don't take time to look. See, to combine the previous point in this one is this. If you and I sit down, let's say at the beginning of the day or maybe the night before, and you say, okay, tomorrow is Wednesday, September 19th. This is what I have to do on Wednesday. And much of us, this is what we do. After we say, okay, here are the eight things I have to do on Wednesday. Then after I complete those eight things, it could be 5 o'clock at night. It could be 8 p.m. You know what our tendency is? We start thinking, well, since I got these eight things done, I'm going to start on the other ten things I have going for tomorrow, today. And as a result of that, rather than stopping and analyzing that which has been done, we begin to move on. But God says, before I move on, I stop and look. I evaluate. I reflect on what I have done. And when you and I stop and think not just what we have done, but what has God done? And we don't see his work because we don't stop to look. I can tell you right now, there is no greater danger than for a generation to get to a point where they don't understand how to have silence. People are afraid to be alone in a quiet place by themselves. Just uncomfortable. And you know what it takes to bring us to that place? Tragedy. Then when a friend has died or when someone has given up or sacrificed their life or we've gone through some tragedy, then we're like, leave me alone. Is that what it takes? Death, tragedy, suffering in order to bring us back and say, man, I need to think about life. But God doesn't need tragedy. He just needs one thing to have been done. And God says, listen, look at my example. Every day, take time to reflect on what you have done. Take time to see what has God done today. And if we take time to do that every day, we start seeing the progress. But if we just rush, rush, busy, 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 iPod on the way to class. Then when I get to class, I sit in class. When I'm out of class, I turn the iPod back on. Then after I turn the iPod back on, I'm going to where I'm going. Then when I get back on, oh, I go on the Internet. Now as I'm on the internet, I'm listening to music while I'm on the internet, while I'm typing a document, while I'm working on my homework. And then also my friend is texting me. So now I'm on the internet, doing my homework, working on assignment, listening to my iPod, and then I'm texting my friend at the same time. And the funny thing is you all do this thing as if it's nothing. And yet when I say it out loud, you're like, man, that's crazy. (laughs) You're like, that sounds like insanity. And I'm not speaking to you as one who has arrived. I'm guilty. We all, you know, it's the funny thing is the things that we tend to hate are the things that we do. One of the things I hate is when I'm talking to people, and as we're in a conversation, right, either their phone beeps or something, and you're just like, yeah, man, because da-da-da, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like an awkward silence in the middle of the conversation. Mid-sentence, yeah, man, because, yeah, so, um... <laughs> and then after they send a text, they're done after they check what's going on. Then this is the other thing people like to do. Yeah, no way, man, yeah, totally, I got a voicemail, I know, hold on one sec. You're just sitting there like, we're talking. We are talking. Is this like an emergency? Are you a medical doctor? Are you saving lives? Is there someone who's going to die if you don't respond to this ex? No, no, no. He needs a cesarean right now and needs to make sure that this baby comes out immediately. Otherwise, no, no, no. You are 15, 16, 17, 21. You are not a doctor. Therefore, the person can wait. And while I sit and think, man, this annoys me, I watch myself do it to other people. I'm sitting there talking to a friend. I don't even keep my phone on. It's on silent. And yet it's like I have an emotional connection to my phone. I just know when someone is texting me. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like a heartbeat. It's face down. I'm not even looking at the screen. Yeah, no way. How did you know someone was calling you? I don't even know, man. It's crazy. <laughs> I just I just know to pick up the phone. We are one. <laughs> But the problem with this is that don't get time to reflect. Don't get time to think. God created each of you with minds to use. With the power to think and to make decisions and to act based on what you think. And I guarantee you, your decisions will change if you just set aside, I would even challenge you, 15 minutes a day just to think about what you have done. What have I accomplished today? What have I actually engaged in? What did I complete? And then to see, is it good? God saw the light that it was good. What does good mean? Good does not mean, ah, oh, you know, that's pretty good. God is not average. God is not saying, eh, it's good enough. That works. I can make better light, but it works. No, when the Bible says God saw that it was good, what it means is it was exactly according to what he said. God did what he intended to do. Exactly. He says that is good. And you ask yourself the question, today was my intention, was X, Y, Z. Did I do X, Y, Z? Did I not do X, Y, Z? If I did not do X, Y, Z, why didn't I do X, Y, Z? What is the reason? The last thing I want to say on this is that God... And giving us an example of how we ought to work and how we ought to labor, and even look at his work and understand his process and his mind. Because God is love, then when we're reflecting on the things that we're talking about, we're talking about how love behaves itself. And one of the first attributes of love, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is that love suffers long. And every time I read that, I always say to myself, suffering long are two things young people hate to do. They hate to suffer and they hate things to be long. Am I telling the truth? Especially, right, a boring sermon is the combination of both. It's long and I'm suffering because this is so boring. And yet the Bible says love suffers long. To put it in different terms of what we're talking about today, love is used to dealing with long periods of time. It's used to that. I want to conclude with this story because I know I have three minutes to end so I have to be quick. One of my interests recently um, has been reflecting on the love of God as pictured in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, because there's a lot of people who claim that the Old Testament does not reveal a God of love. So I'm on a journey to disprove that. And one of the things that you find in the Bible is that God uses a lot of marital language. And in the Jewish religion, uh, because I grew up around a lot of Jewish people, what you find is this, is that when Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 13, or I think it's, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, John 13, and he does the last supper, right, with the cup, take and drink, and he gives the disciples the cup to drink from. You know that what I'm talking about? This is where we get communion from. Well, did you know that when a young guy is interested in a young girl, what he does is he goes and tells his dad in the Jewish culture, and then after he tells her dad, I'm sorry his dad his dad goes to her dad and says hey my son is interested in your son daughter sorry (laughs) make sure you edit that on the recording (laughs) my son is interested in your daughter this is what happens when I try to rush and so as he comes and he says okay your son is interested in my daughter he says what they do is they throw a banquet and after they throw a banquet All the family members are there, the family on her side, the family on his side, and they have a nice little table, a banquet table right there up front. And as they're sitting at this table, you have the dad, the son's dad, then you have the son, then you have the daughter, and then you have the daughter's dad sitting at this table. And everyone is there, and everyone knows what this is for. This is his proposal. It's crazy, right? And so eventually at some point in time in the festivities, he pours a drink of grape juice and he drinks from the cup and then he slides it over to her side. And if she drinks the cup, that means she accepts his proposal. If she slides it back, she does not accept his proposal. It's a lot of pressure, guys. (laughs) So let's just say for the sake of our story, she drinks the cup. After she drinks the cup, right, everybody celebrates, great, we have a marriage going on, this is awesome, and you know what happens? He says these words to her. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm like, as I'm reading this, I'm in shock, right? I'm like, this is where Jesus is getting this from. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So what happens is she goes home to her mom to learn how to be a wife and a mother, to do the things of the household. And while she's there, the son goes back to his dad's house and he has to build a room for him and his new bride in attachment to his father's house. Are you following what I'm saying? And as he builds this place, it is not finished until his dad, not him, when his father says, that is worthy of your bride, you can go get your bride. So on the, on the right side of town, he's building this room for his bride. Now, you think he's going to build slowly or quickly? Listen, brother, if you needed to build a house in order to get your bride, you will build. <laughs> you will not get distracted. You will not answer your phone. No, not today. <laughs> on the other side of town, she's with her, her mother. And she's learning all these things, and she doesn't know the day or the hour that he's coming to get her. So what does she do? Every night before she goes to sleep, because in the daytime, she's awake. She's out and about. So if he comes in the daytime, she's like, I'll see him, and I'll be ready. But if he comes at night when I'm sleeping, in order so that he knows two things. One, that I still love him, and I still want to give my affection to him. And two, where to find me at nighttime. She lights a lamp and puts it in her window, and she makes sure that it's filled with oil so that it burns all night. But if he comes, and this is why he could come at any time because as he's building, his dad could be like, all right, son, you did good. You can go get your bride. You think he's going to wait till the morning? No. I've been building this house for months. I'm going to go get my bride tonight. It's done? It's good? It's worthy? All right, let's go. (laughs) So they start walking through town. And as they walk through town, if he comes to the house and the lamp is not burning, he thinks she has fallen in love with someone else. She's not waiting for me. But if the lamp is burning, then he knows that's her room and she's still waiting for How tragic would it be when Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. I'm building us a place to live together. And while he's building this house, he's faithful to do what he said he will do. And on the flip side, you and I become in love with someone else. So when Jesus comes, he doesn't see every lamp burning. Our lamps are not burning, which means we have fallen in love with someone else. He doesn't need to come for us. Love is used to dealing with long periods of time. And as that woman waits day after day, being trained by her mother, she makes sure she lights that lamp and it reminds her. I'm waiting for him. So other guys come up and say, Hey, I notice you're not married yet. No, I'm waiting for someone. I'm waiting for someone. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm already over time, so I have to make this quick. Are you discouraged? With God's work, his process. Do you feel like God is going too slowly? But could it be that God is saying, I'm trying to prepare a place that my father can approve? That God isn't going to do everything in your life in a day, but he promises that he will finish. He wants you to be ready when Jesus comes. And this morning, you want to say, Lord, I'm convicted. I need to take more time to reflect, to evaluate my life, my decisions on a daily basis, and to evaluate what you are doing each day. You say, I need to take more time to reflect. Just go ahead and raise your right hand. I need to take more time. Okay, you can put your hands down. Secondly, I want to make an invitation for that person that says, you know, (laughs) lamps. I've fallen in love with this world. There was a time when I was in love with Jesus. But right now, my lamp is flickering. It's not burning bright." And maybe you're a person who has lost their first love. You've lost your love for Christ. But today you want to renew that commitment. You want to renew that love. And that God can teach you through his word and through his spirit to grow that love for Christ. If that's your desire, I just invite you to stand as we pray. Say, my lamp is not burning bright. I may have once been in love, but I'm I'm not as in love as I was before. And I I want to renew my commitment to love Christ. I want to renew that. Father in heaven, thank you for these extra minutes. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for your example of how you manage time. Father, we pray that as we raised our hands, that you would keep us accountable through the Holy Spirit to take time to reflect, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, to look at what we have done, the choices we have made, and to see the activity of God. But Lord, we've also stood to say that sometimes we get weary in waiting, waiting for you to finish your work. And so we stand to ask that you would renew our love and our commitment, our passion for Christ. That it would be fresh and that it would be strong and we'll make sure that our lamps are burning bright. This is our prayer and we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse